When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When a pandemic strikes, we turn to any and all ideas to give us the upper hand. Most of them are developed in the lab and progress in the usual clinical approach. But there's one strategy that can help us beat COVID-19 that got its start in a very different and smelly place. The wastewater treatment plant. This week, we're going to examine the nature of COVID-19 wastewater diagnostics. We'll find out how it works and how results can help us determine the extent of infection in a community. We'll also explore how this type of test could provide health officials with the information they need to implement useful measures to stop outbreaks in the future. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to flush out the details on a test that may help wipe out our fears of COVID-19. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. Since research on SARS-CoV-2 started, there have been several odd discoveries. Most of them have been troubling to our health, such as heart, nervous system, and psychological sequelae. We've covered all of those in earlier episodes. But one finding seems to work in our favor, although it may not be apparent at first. The virus can be found in our feces. Now I get it. Why would this have any impact on our ability to fight a pandemic? After all, COVID-19 is a respiratory disease and spreads from person to person through respiratory droplets. And as of yet, there have been no records of spread in the bathroom. But it's not what happens in the home that makes this information awesome. It's afterwards, long after you've flushed and washed your hands. Am I right? For more on how that wastewater can help fight COVID-19, I've reached out to Tyson Graber, a research associate at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario Research Institute. He has been working on wastewater testing since the pandemic began, and his work has gained not just the attention, but also the trust of the local government. Why wastewater for detection of COVID-19 coronavirus? Yeah, on an initial thought, it, it seems like an odd place to look for a respiratory virus. Um, so we wouldn't expect this virus to be in wastewater, but it turns out it is. Uh, and so actually, wastewater is quite full of pathogens, and SARS-CoV-2 happens to be one of them. The, the advantage of wastewater is that we're looking at large populations of people all at once, and it, it's a passive survey. So we're actually detecting without invasively probing people. So this passive survey gives us that kind of information, at least in Ottawa, on a daily basis. And and SARS-CoV-2 seems to be relatively easily monitored in this way. One of the biggest issues that we talked about in our diagnostic episode two weeks ago was just that idea of pooling numerous different samples together to try and find the virus. It would speed everything up. It would be far less costly. And it possibly could even give us an idea as to clustering. 
it sounds like wastewater is doing all of that in one go. Yeah, and and thinking back to the early days of the of the pandemic, it was Germany that came up with the idea of actually pooling clinical samples and and, and using that in in a context where there weren't enough test kits to probe a lot of people, and so and so they went with the. The, the way of actually pooling a bunch of clinical samples and then seeing if those were positive and then, you know, doing individual testing after that. And so, so wastewater can be seen kind of as, a, as an extension of that, but really done uh, through a large population. So, um, you know, you could have a community of 10,000 people and you can have a community of 10 million people. There is that information flowing through those cities and coming to a node, i.e. wastewater treatment plants, where that information can be extracted. So let's get into the process of determining if COVID-19 coronavirus happens to be in your wastewater. So in Ottawa, we're using what pretty much everybody else around the world is using. So we're using a, a PCR-based test. So it's essentially looking for a, a needle in a haystack, amplifying that signal, and then being able to easily monitor that signal, that amplified signal. And so that strategy is being used around the world with wastewater testing. And the first players in this was back in March through a, a group in, in the Netherlands um, where they were able to show this. And they, they, they have used this in the past with other pathogens, this PCR test. And so we were able to adapt that PCR test to the situation in Ottawa, the Ottawa context. And that's really, again, what everybody is using around the world who, who is in, in this, what we call it, wastewater-based epidemiology field, or WBE. This field is, is using PCR as, as the main testing method. Now, there's, there's other possibilities out there. So we could also probe for protein. That's a possibility. And different detection methods. But really, this amplification method, standard PCR, has the advantage of being both highly sensitive and also highly specific. And so those two advantages make it the main player right now. One thing that you mentioned is you're looking for RNA. That is really fragile. It's so hard. Like, I remember being in a lab trying to isolate RNA. And if you just did one little thing wrong, you would just dissolve it all into oblivion. And, and I'm just curious, how is RNA staying stable in, well, you know, wastewater? Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent question, and it's, it's really one that we don't have an answer to yet. If you do work in a lab and you work with RNA, you're always told that oh yeah, if you if you cough in the direction of the RNA, it's, it's going to spontaneously disappear. This is because there are these what are called nucleases, these ribonucleases, these enzymes that that chop apart this particular nucleic acid molecule, so ribonucleic acid. Uh, and this is the case, and, and this is, RNAs are everywhere in the environment and in your cells. So as soon as those cells crack open, RNAs exposed, those RNAs are, are active. And um, so if you put raw RNA into wastewater, you're going to have decay because uh, there are these RNAs and also for, for physical reasons, it's going to decay over time. So on first glance or a first thought, you wouldn't think there would be a lot of this RNA or it would be highly fragmented. It's not really the case. We find that there's not a lot of fragmentation, which suggests that entire genomes are, are mostly intact in wastewater. Uh, which is kind of a surprising finding. And it's just that somehow they're protected. And so this could be because they're actually inside that virus. And so normally that RNA, that genomic RNA from the virus is protected by what's called a nucleocapsid or this, this shell of, of proteins and lipids. Or just by virtue of being in, in wastewater matrix, you know, there's a lot of uh, fatty material, lipids, um, things like this that could protect the RNA 
Now that might change depending on the the context of the uh, wastewater. In in one city, that wastewater matrix might be quite different than in another city. We're doing this type of wastewater testing in individual localities like Ottawa, but that is localized to the community. It's not a reflection of any other community that might be nearby, but that isn't attached to the sewer line. Yes, the results that we're getting and the, the signal that we're getting, the RNA signal that we're getting are purely from outlet or toilet or sink or, or bathtub. If you're not connected to the sewer shed, we're not surveying you essentially. Depending on the municipality, uh, and this is why we have excellent collaborations and we're working very, very closely with with that, those groups of people to figure out exactly who we're surveying, uh, when the survey is happening. And so you can imagine, at least in Ottawa, if you live in the west end of the city, our wastewater treatment plant is actually in the east end of the city, and it takes over 30 hours for that waste to get to that wastewater treatment plant. So there's this residence time, this temporal separation. So not only is it just based on the municipality or the locality, you can actually subdivide within that locality to be able to identify potential neighborhoods. Yeah, so it's still quite early days, at least in Canada, in, in terms of looking what we call upstream or up pipe, hone in on, on certain specific areas of the city. But others around the world have been working on this for quite a long time. So Israel actually has an excellent local wastewater detection in terms of neighborhoods. Uh, the U.S., uh, many jurisdictions, colleges and universities and the, their campuses in the U.S., they've been looking at wastewater testing in their campuses, in their dormitory areas. So, so all of this more focused surveillance is, is happening now. And it's actually happening in Canada now. Our groups at the University of Ottawa and at the CHEO Research Institute here in Ottawa were part of a, a larger group across Ontario looking upstream in the sewer shed, long-term care homes, at correctional facilities, also First Nations. And um, there's a lot of both logistical challenges in, in doing this. So let's get into the results. What are they indicating when you see spikes and valleys within the wastewater COVID-19 PCR analysis? So speaking specifically to the Ottawa data set, uh, which again, we've been collecting daily data since last fall. And before that, uh, we were collecting at least twice a week. And then back earlier on, back in time towards the beginning of the pandemic, where we were collecting every week. And so, so that um, amount of data has allowed us to really make strong correlations with clinical cases in the city. And what it's clearly showing is that when we have resurgences of this virus in the city, so i.e. waves, as some people call it, these resurgences in, the, in disease in, in the city are accompanied by uh, increases in signal in the wastewater. And the increases in the signal in the wastewater are actually leading the, the clinical testing by at least, in the, again, in the Ottawa context, by a couple of days or even earlier. And this is being corroborated across different jurisdictions, not only in Canada, but across the world where, where wastewater is really a leading indicator of COVID-19 incidence and prevalence in a community. It's a little bit different on the trailing end of the curve. So once once we get over the top of the curve of a wave, the, the wastewater signal is actually goes down quite slowly. We don't know a lot about the shedding dynamics. So how many people shed this virus? How much virus do they shed? And when do they shed it? There's a lot of unknowns in this right now. What seems to be true is that early on in the infection, people might be shedding a lot of this virus in their feces. And that decays exponentially over time. The wastewater data is really quite consistent with this, where we see this spike in signal, and then it trails off slowly over time, this kind of exponential decay. 
it's quite nice to be able to essentially correlate the clinical data with the wastewater data like this. And as more data comes in from around the world, uh, both from the clinical side of things, and when I say clinical, I mean studies that are actually collecting feces from patients and, and analyzing to see how much RNA they are shedding, uh, how much of this virus they are shedding, and um, correlating that with all the wastewater data that's, that's coming in from really around the world now. Um, from many, many ju jurisdictions. And hopefully all of that is going to be, can be used, all of that data can be used to come up with a model of, of, of how wastewater can be used. Have you been able to identify variants using this technique? Or is it like the PCR test for diagnosis where you may end up with what they call a target failure? Right. The variants came onto the picture in December, and, and we were on this right away, as well as a lot of other people around the world. The questions that came out of this, you know, developing a test for, for variants came about by looking at Twitter, if you can imagine, science being done over Twitter. This is, this is what spurred us on, was, was looking at how um, prevalent these variants were in, in, in the UK, and, and really watching on Twitter uh, what other scientists were doing in Europe at this time around December and, and following the increased number of variants being detected by genomic sequencing. And the question was whether we could detect these variants in wastewater. We look to adapt our PCR test for these variants. And so the PCR test that we're using now is actually variant agnostic, meaning that we're looking at virtually all of the, the known viral genomes out there. It doesn't discriminate between whether it's a UK variant or Brazilian variant or South African variant. So right away, we know that we're not missing anything. There's no dropouts in the wastewater. It covers over 99% of the known viral genomes out there, the known SARS-CoV-2 viral genomes. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Wastewater testing has gained significant attention over the last few months, but is by no means an overnight success. The exploration of wastewater for a variety of viruses, including hepatitis, norovirus, and even influenza, has been ongoing for decades. It's officially known as sentinel surveillance, and it provides an early warning. Of course, one needs to place the results of wastewater testing in the timeline of an outbreak to find out what exactly that warning is. Are you catching it before it grips the community? Are you seeing it while the virus is spreading like wildfire? Or... Is it a reflection of population spread and simply a way of confirming suspicions? Tyson Graber is on the case and has been examining all the clues, including those that involve variants and the effectiveness of vaccines. How does sentinel testing help us overall in preventing disease outbreaks? 
Well, Sentinel testing can help because it, it gives us a forewarning. If we're able to have a good testing system that tells us how any particular disease might enter the community and how it will progress through the community, this is a good thing, of course. It can prevent outbreaks, but it might also make existing outbreaks less severe. I guess what we learned in, in this COVID-19 pandemic is that we have to act a lot faster. All of this bureaucracy makes it really hard to uh, have kind of a rapid response. So I, I guess um, sentinel testing should be designed to be able to get that information, collect that information and, and disseminate that information as quickly as possible to the, to the correct people. And not only that, but there has to be a, a response that is adequate or doesn't require a lot of thinking. And so if we have an early warning system such as a Sentinel, do you think that it will give us the opportunity to essentially go to those color codes faster with more confidence so that if we do say we're going from a green to a yellow or from, say, a red to a gray, that we know that we're doing this as fast as we possibly can, as opposed to what's been happening in the past, where we all of a sudden see this massive rise and we're sort of putting the restrictions in a little bit too late. Yeah. Another thing we've learned from this pandemic is that the powers that be are, are, are really reactive. Uh, we're not being proactive enough. And the wastewater testing and I, I'm, I'm heavily biased here, but but I think it's one of the strongest early indicators of something going wrong in your community. And I, I think I think Ottawa is learning this now. Um, that has allowed Ottawa to basically respond to changes in the prevalence of, or the instance of this disease in the community quite quickly. And when I say quickly, I mean within a few days. So hopefully this is changing kind of convincing hearts and minds in the public as well. Do you feel then that this could be a model that would be proposed to city councils across Canada and maybe even the world in a way that they would essentially adopt these strategies? And I guess if you were to go in that way, you probably have to have partners that are part of the government system. So, you know, in Canada, we have the National Microbiology Laboratory. They have numerous groups in the UK, uh, CDC in the US. Do you think that that type of buy-in would have to be incorporated? Or do you think that we could develop this model and then just give it to the municipalities, showing Ottawa as a prime example? I think municipalities don't have all the tools readily available to them to be able to have this as a turnkey package where they can just have a, a small lab set up and then have, have the systems in place for this. I, I think right now, as it stands, there's a lot of moving parts to the machine. And I think it really takes the, the academic labs and, as you mentioned, the National Microbiology Laboratories to facilitate these sorts of things. In the future, I'm sure it could be packaged in such a way that municipalities can have their own testing capabilities or, or testing infrastructure. However, right now, it's quite complicated in the sense that, you know, you have to get samples from that wastewater treatment plant, you know, they have to have technicians to actually sample that material, send that material out to the labs. Right here in Ottawa, it's very easy, send it to the lab a few kilometers away. But as you can imagine, if you're sampling in, you know, Yellowknife and the laboratories in Winnipeg, that sample has to get out of there by plane. And it's going to take time. 
And then, of course, the testing itself can't be done in a simple uh, laboratory that a municipality might have for normal water testing. So, so some of this might be helped by new technologies that could allow portable testing to be done on site. So for sure, in the future, not too distant future, I hope, wastewater testing can be less complex in both the technical side of things, but also from the logistical and, and the policy side of things. Let's just say that we are able to develop a model, a system that municipalities can latch onto, whether it's self-sustaining or it has to do with an association with, say, a provincial or federal government. Once we have that in place, do you feel that we can start expanding that to, say, other viruses of concern? I really hope that this opens the door as a good poster child to be able to communicate to public health units and the public, public's the most important here, public awareness, that this kind of system, i.e. all of that information that is flowing through wastewater, that health information is anonymous, passive, we're passively collecting it, and it's available for public health units to use. And so hopefully in the future, we can apply this to other pathogens. Hopefully this is really, excuse the pun, but a watershed moment to be looking at extracting this information from wastewater. Do you think we could use the wastewater technique to be able to evaluate the effectiveness of a vaccine in a community? I can actually say that we, we're actively looking into this. One might imagine that you could just simply look for a decrease in the viral signal. So obviously you should have less incidence and prevalence of that virus in the community following a vaccine. And uh, you can imagine a community where the vaccine is no longer effective, that signal might be increasing again. So that's kind of a very simplistic view, but we might look at more of a, a direct marker of vaccine effectiveness, and, and a proxy for that is, is looking at antibodies. And it is possible to, to detect antibodies in wastewater. And so we're, we're, we're actually looking at this now, and, and possibly others are too. And that makes me think that this might be the best way to get around one of the most ethical problems we faced with respect to the vaccine. As you may have heard, Israel had a deal with one of the manufacturers to be able to share data so that the manufacturer could get a better perspective as to the effectiveness of the vaccine. That would never fly here in Canada. But if we look at the idea of pooling through wastewater to be able to identify not just necessarily the virus, but as you say, antibodies, we essentially would get the same type of information, but there would be no encroachment on privacy. Is wastewater possibly the missing link between our own individual data and the companies that need it while still respecting privacy laws? Yeah, it's very possible as a, a passive survey that is anonymized when we look at entire municipalities or entire populations, the, the ethics that are attached to it, uh, because of that anonymized survey, ethics aren't terribly important. However, that doesn't mean they don't exist. So we, we've certainly come against roadblocks in terms of, of ethics at the community level. Um, you can imagine that if we start testing correctional facilities, First Nations communities, you can see that we don't want to stigmatize any particular community. That ethical framework has to be decided upon and built with this type of testing still. To, to address that ethical framework uh, right now, all the communities that we test, they essentially own that data. You know, it's up to them what they do with that data. The second thing in terms of ethics and using data from this type of testing is that when we go up pipe, we can easily end up stigmatizing that neighborhood. There are certainly many concerns from that tested community that have to be addressed. And again, the, the power should really stay with that particular community. 
And that's kind of the angle that we've that we've been taking. If we're testing a neighborhood, again, that data belongs to that neighborhood and they decide whether or not that information gets released. That takes us to the end of the discussion, but I'm sure we haven't answered all of your questions about COVID-19 and wastewater. Tweet me at jatetro or email me at thegermguy at gmail.com. And you can also head over to speakpipe.com slash sass and post your question there. In the meantime, for Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It really does help to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to Tyson Graber. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Deal of Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Greg Shaw. Have a great week. Stay safe. And as always, make sure to show them some sass.